Has Fallen Kingdom come out? Tell me no. Fallen Kingdom? Jurassic no. World Fallen Kingdom? No, it hasn't. Thank you. It's gonna happen. I know. Actually, it we could all get nuked to shit before then. Let's not lose our hope. The Big Show! Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Talking During the Movie, the show where two jagoffs talk about new movies and movie news. I'm Mike. And I'm James. And uh, this is episode number 94, and uh, it is entitled Mike and James's Baby. I don't think our podcast is that entitled. I, you know, you know I don't want it to... <laughs> You don't you don't owe us anything, listeners, alright? We're glad just to have you. I do like to think of this podcast as our baby. Yeah, and I like to think of that as a title that we should be proud of. This is Mike and James's baby. Mm-hmm. Episode ninety four, I suppose of Mike and James's baby. No. No, no, we're not doing we are not. No. <laughs> don't get me wrong, we have. No, I'm kidding. Oh, uh. that's what we've been doing this whole time. <laughs> yeah, we've been gone a while. I apologize. Um, recent news that no one, you don't care about because we're two jackoffs. I got engaged, uh, mm-hmm. which was cool. And then I had some, you know, some uh, tournaments and stuff for the, the nerdy sport I play. It's not Quidditch. It's Ultimate Frisbee. Um, but I did just realize that when you say sense. nerdy sport, I feel like people are just going to assume Quidditch. Well, anyone who knows Kim in real life... Uh, would also assume Quidditch. So. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> I mean, know her in the sense that she's a massive Harry Potter fan. Yeah, no, I get it. Yeah. Would you I, know in like the biblical sense? Like. No, I mean like, you know, I guess if you know her well enough, you would know she also plays Ultimate Frisbee. But that's true. You know. Cool. Um. So. So I'm it's, still getting married. So, long story you know. short, it's been a busy month. Yeah. Um, May was a busy month, so we posted our last episode on May second, and it's like mid June now. So, sorry. I will look. But I'll say are. this too, though. I will say this too. I um. I don't know about you. I kind of. I've kind of felt like I was in a bit of a movie funk. You know, not not that I was seeing bad films, but like I wasn't being exposed to anything that like kind of motivated me to really have a conversation you know like I, I our last episode was what infinity war right yeah infinity war mm-hmm. yeah um and you know since then i've only seen a handful of, of movies and it was like you know solo uh, which we saw you know we all saw together and uh you know just i don't know stuff that felt uh, like i didn't have all that much to say about it like it, it was you know, which is why we haven't reviewed Solo right now. I mean, I suppose we could. Um, whatever. You know, I don't have that much to say. It's like a big man. Like, I, it's exactly the product that if you're going into the movie to see a, a Han Solo prequel made by Disney, that you, you know, you're you're getting literally exactly the product that you paid for. It's not like the Last Jedi. It's unchallenging. It, it doesn't, you know doesn't risk alienating wide swaths of the audience it, it it's perfectly um you know it's it's perfectly likable i think my biggest surprise was that it was a pretty coherent narrative like it, it 
it was well constructed as a as a narrative as a story um there yeah, was, it was no, a lot cleaner than rogue one i'll admit yeah it, 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 I, I didn't find it as entertaining <laughs> if, if it was if it is as much of a frankenstein as the behind the scenes drama reportage would have us believe then it, it, it hid the scars well i like i, I don't uh, it's fine it's good it's a good movie i'm not even gonna know what's a replicant anymore Just shit. another Harrison Ford movie that I want to throw shit, in there. Shit, shit, brown eyes. Um, I saw RBG, which was pretty cool. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, great. Oh, yeah. Um, and, you know, I saw Tully, which I think is worth talking about, but, you know. Also, I, well, I am hearing more than I ever expected to hear about a Mr. Rogers documentary, which uh, I don't yeah. actually think is a wide release right now, but. No, like, I, that's actually coming to the Pickford soon. I've been I had my eye on it because right. I've been the picker's been showing trailers for it and it i mean it just looks like so sweet <laughs> i mean i i adore mr rogers he's like honest to god one of my heroes um mm-hmm. and i don't and i and i don't even like children but <laughs> <laughs> i hate children <laughs> I, you can quote me on that oh god um, please don't <laughs> I'm, I'm actually i don't know i'm i'm looking forward to the rest of the year though because there's some like really cool uh, stuff that came out of can and like that you know just one actually just here one you know in seattle film fest um things like uh, under the silver lake I'm, I'm super stoked for which is the uh david robert mitchell's follow-up to oh follows right yeah um, and yeah i don't know just like lots of cool uh unique looking movies coming out i i'm, I'm kind of you know i, I i'm not getting superhero fatigue really but i'm, I'm just kind of like i don't know i'm going into the summer already kind of sick of blockbusters it's strange i feel like i've had my fill i i just i want to see weird genre bending stuff that just makes me feel like how did this movie who the fuck even agreed to finance this movie it's insane <laughs> well if you I want w- something that audiences don't like hereditary yeah, yeah uh, um the the number one guaranteed way to get a bad cinema score rating is to make a horror make a, film with make a critically make a critically acclaimed horror movie. Yeah, <laughs> well, you know, and honestly, like we we're that's the that's the thing we're reviewing uh, Hereditary this episode, and I'm not starting just yet. But I was honestly pretty shocked to hear that, and I'm actually a little skeptical about it. Um, As you should be, because the IMDb score for this, again, not saying that that's. Uh, necessarily representative of the film's quality, but it's sitting pretty at an eight with over yeah, ten. And, and the Metacritic user reviews are also largely positive, you know. So, like I, I saw a lot more vitriol for other movies, you know, like like it follows or it comes at night. I think know. it comes at night is like the prime example of this because I like most casual film goers really seem to be lukewarm at. That, like at their most generous. Oh yeah, and that's the thing. Like I heard, I heard jeers like I've never heard before at the end of it comes at night. Whereas like you know my theater experience in Hereditary, despite the obvious annoying assholes who thought they were being funny by clucking. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I have those too. Actually, oh god, everyone does. They're all like, <laughs> guys, guys, I'm gonna cluck. I'm really clever. Uh, um, they. It makes me never want to make that fucking sound again. But besides those guys, like. People seemed really into the movie, like, mm-hmm. you know, beginning to end. Like, it was... 
There was, and the, the ending of the movie didn't wasn't like, oh, what a stupid fuck. I didn't hear that shit, you know. I, so I only heard that from the guys who were making the clicking noise behind me, and they like they reeked of body spray, like just okay. Like, it smelled like a like a fucking locker room. So the question becomes, you know, can your your ratio of of axe body spray to other you know scents be a predictor of whether or not you like hereditary? I uh, possibly, but I, I will say this again. We're not reviewing the film yet, but if if you're going to see this movie, I highly recommend seeing it in the most like varied theater. Like I, I'm giving them shit right now, but honestly, I'm glad they were there because they were offset by a lot of different types of people, like very different demographics, and it seemed like there were like very distinct reactions based on the types of people who were watching and i kind of got like a little hint of all of them or most of them just based on you know little audience reactions at different points in the film and it was a very interesting theater going experience well yeah i mean no i think this is one of the one of the better like, i mean as i said like they're they're douchebags and idiots in this movie, um in this theater i should say but um Overall, I mean, it was a really fun theater experience, and as much as that, like, shouldn't impact the quality of the film itself, like, it was, it was, it helped my enjoyment sitting in the theater, like, listening to everybody else, like, (laughs) react to the movie one way or the other. Yeah. Usually one way. I've heard a couple of, of reviewers talk about, you know, just like, you know, I, I want to see this again this time without anyone, like with, with fewer people in the fucking theater. And I'm like, I don't know. I, I think it's worth it just to, just to kind of gauge how people are reacting at different moments. And is also interesting because I feel like the last prestige horror films we've talked about over the last couple of years, I've seen pretty much alone, like, very sparsely populated theaters and this one felt a little bit different it it i don't know horror blockbuster is probably a stretch and it's also a word it's a phrase that doesn't apply to that many films outside of like (laughs) the exorcist like get out a quiet place you know (laughs) um yeah but like in terms of like hard horror I, i don't know this is like it, it occupies a weird overlap area, I think, where it does seem to be getting pop. Like, I don't know about popular appeal, but definitely people are discussing this. And it's it's not just limited to, like, art houses or, like, cult horror circles. It, it seems like a lot of other people who wouldn't normally see a film like this are giving it a go. Yeah, I mean... It- and honestly, like, watching it, as I said, that's why I was so surprised to see, like, a D-plus on Cinema Score or whatever it is, just because, like, it's, it feels like it does occupy a nice middle ground between, like, the crowd-pleasing horror of things like Get Out or A Quiet Place and the really artsy horror, like, like It Comes to Night, or even really The Witch, though though I do maintain is is unabashedly a horror film. Um, yeah, it yeah. It seems even more, like, it, hereditary, that is, seems like even more like it has a general audience appeal. Um but I guess not to the people who were pulled by CinemaScore, which I is certainly really the most scientific uh, study you could possibly conduct, uh, you know. Naturally. So. There's yeah. always a huge discrepancy between CinemaScore and, and most other 
you know, ways of measuring uh, audience reaction that I've seen. So I, I don't, I never really know what to do yeah, with I mean, it. There's not really, I feel like there's not a really a great way there because, isn't. you know, it's like, okay, you look at the Metacritic user reviews, it's like, okay, so that's the opinions of the Metacritic people who have accounts on Metacritic or thought to go to Metacritic and review it, you know? Um, I mean, it's a small yeah. sample of the audience. And like I'm eating my words because I remember when The Last Jedi came out and I'm like, what's up with all these like, um, you know, what's with all these low scores on Metacritic and uh, Rotten hey, Tomatoes and, and IMDb? That is an anomaly, and, though. People hated that fucking movie. Um, no, I know. But CinemaScore had an A for it. Really? Wow. <laughs> yeah. So I was like clinging to that and I was just like, oh, it's just a, you know, it's just neo-Nazis, you know, brigading online. Um <laughs> you know, until it became so much, you know, I, I, I'm still not, I'm still perfectly convinced that was part of it. In fact, it was revealed to be part of it, but also there was, you know, widespread audience controversy over the film that, you know, so it's either way, I, I don't really get how cinema score operates. <laughs> I don't know how it arrives at its, uh, oh, at its rating. I mean, it's a completely unsci- from what I understand about CinemaScore, it is a completely mm-hmm. unscientific poll. Like CinemaScore has people, you know, wait outside of movie screenings mm-hmm. and then ask people to give it a give it a grade. I guess. Huh. Wow. You know, they're like, "Hey, what would you grade the film?" Okay, A, C minus, D. You know, it's just like uh, that. that's the that's the bar, huh? Yeah, I mean, that's and then the, that is compiled into. You know, it's like I have no idea if they have any standards for like how many screenings they have to show, how many how many screenings they have to pull, how many people in each screening they have to pull. You know, uh, where are you pulling these people exactly. from? What what are the demo- <laughs> that's ridiculous? Okay, all right. See, I I only really ever knew what CinemaScore was just because it keeps getting cited. So I'm just like, okay, I guess it's worth mentioning what it is. But yeah, yeah. Okay. That's well, the thing. I, I think it's really. I think there really is an interesting discussion to be had about why, or or really to determine the difference between critical opinion and general audience opinion, which there does seem to be. Cinema score aside, there does seem to be a a, a dichotomy there, and I think it's interesting to find out why. Mm-hmm. But in order to find out why, we really have to like diagnose the problem right now. And as of as of right now. I don't feel like there's a good way to do that, to really like measure that out, to size it up and say, hey, what actually is the divide? So I I find the the preferable method to just be go see the movie yourself and form your own goddamn opinion. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Or listen to talking during or listen to us. The best podcast from Timbuktu Timbuktu to Portland Portland, Maine or fuck. Damn it. No, I said it wrong. You said it right. Is it por- oh Portland? It's Portland, uh, Maine, Portland Maine or Portland, Oregon, for that matter? Yeah, you're right. Aha! I know because all Stephen King's books take place in Maine, except The Shining. But <laughs> you know, <laughs> irony, yeah. right? Um, you know what? Horror films. We were talking about them. Let's talk about Halloween. Sorry, Halloween. Halloween. <laughs> the sequel to Halloween. <laughs> Halloween? <laughs> I fucking I uh, before you said that before you pointed that out I had never I'd never heard a single person point that out before that Halloween is now a sequel to Halloween. 
You know, I because okay, so this is the now what second reboot attempted reboot of this franchise. Um, so yes, and and they're going about it kind of an interesting way that I'm sure, and this is speculative because I don't, I have not really been looking at what people are saying, but I'm sure it's controversial. Um, basically, just saying like you know, hey, anything so. It's still in the same universe as the first Halloween. Right. But we're taking a big old red marker and blotting out every single film in the OG trilogy, plus the two Rob Zombie films, which whatever, no one was expecting those to mean (laughs) anything anyway. Um, We're blotting those out. Those don't mean shit anymore. And we're making a follow-up to the original film, the one that everyone loves and agrees is a horror masterpiece. Um, And like... Obviously, it's a huge fuck you to, uh, you know, anyone who worked on any of the other movies or, you know, who likes them as audience members. But <laughs> honestly, I don't how many people gave that much of a shit about the Halloween sequels. And I, I've I've just I've never had I, I know a bunch. And now I've just, you know, fucking per you know, I've. I've destroyed all credibility i have right there but <laughs> like i i do not have a problem with basically a movie series saying like you know what this is what worked this is what didn't get rid of the stuff that didn't fuck it we're just not going to incorporate it anymore we don't need to have that baggage on our story that we're telling now yeah and we're just going to get rid of that um you know obviously the films still happen they're still made they're still they still exist you can still go watch them don't you know don't don't George Lucas and just get rid of everything. Pretend it never happened. But if you want to be like, you know, do the whole Superman returns method. Just say like, <laughs> you know, no one likes any of the movies after the second one. We're just going to pick it up from there because we don't feel like making a serious, you know, a, a, a serious film in the same universe where Superman used vi- his his heat vision to rebuild the Great Wall of China. <laughs> that happened. Yeah, no, I mean, I I get the strategy. It's been done before, and I like it a lot. I do wonder what the cross-section is between people who are upset that, you know, Halloween 2 is no longer a thing and people who were really mad that we don't know who Ray's parents are. (laughs) Oh, that's a good... Well, why is Michael Myers trying to kill Laurie Strode if they're not related? And who is Snoke? (laughs) I want everyone to be related in the movies that I watch. Everyone's a Skywalker or a Kenobi, or else they don't. I don't or a, know what or to a think. Myers or a Strode. Or Myers or a Strode, and there's a legacy, and probably a demon king of the past whose spirit is reincarnated in Michael's body. Yeah, I, I mean, don't. I, I don't know anything about Halloween. Like, I, I love the first film. I don't know anything about the greater like Halloween story thing is like horror horror series in general have been more than happy to like fuck with their continuity oh my god all the time are you kidding me even when they don't officially denounce past movies like oh yeah that even if they don't make a whole gimmick of saying like yeah this movie never happened they still throw a big fuck you to pre-established rules even just like basic events that happened in the past you know yeah i mean Look, I I have like grown to question the uh, sort of the 
the merits of of critiquing what are essentially advertisements um, <laughs> in trailers. That said, that said, if apply that disclaimer to all the future times where I'm going to perpetuate that because <laughs> talking about the Halloween trailer, you know, look, Jamie Lee Curtis is back. They're they're seemed like they're they're not being you know hampered by their their past films i'm interested I, yeah also just the fact that david gordon green's name <laughs> is on this say, yeah david gordon what <laughs> um the indie darling who began his career directing low budget personal dramas like george washington and uh later kind of got a career renaissance with the uh, you know offbeat crime dramas like joe um now he's and and also had a run of stoner comedies in there for good measure uh now he's directing halloween yeah i mean this guy's got a bonkers career and i'm really surprised you know you just had a run of stoner comedies and not pineapple fucking express pineapple express the i mean probably the most pure example of that genre I, i i would say so yeah i mean it's you know which I just read got a B plus on Cinema Score. So we, I mean, so we. What year did that movie come out? Two thousand seven, I want to say. Seven. Okay. Two thousand eight. Two thousand eight. We went to college like two years after mm-hmm. that came out. It was, oh my god, it was everywhere. Yeah. It was <laughs> everywhere. You couldn't escape it. You, you, you know how you know how like Google searches for how to become a um, how to become a stockbroker like shot up after mm-hmm. after Wolf of Wall Street. I wonder mm-hmm. how many people wanted to find out how to be a process server. <laughs> Good. Oh my god. I actually think I had a roommate who very likely went into a similar field for this explicit reason. You know, when you said that, it sounded like you were, like, taking a big hit. <laughs> like, who went into a similar field? <laughs> it's tight. Come to find out that you just, like, you're hotboxing over there. No. That's the I've thing. Learned, that's a, I've that's learned the excitement of talking during the movie. We don't we don't know what the other is doing. I hate time. Because we, we record via, via the internets, folks. Mm-hmm. I would say that we record via Skype, but they don't they don't sponsor us, so I'm gonna blur that out. Um, you know, I just realized we missed a great opportunity uh, to review Unfriended like this. Oh, we did. Oh, great. But hey, there's a new Unfriended coming out. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, you're you right. Yeah, you're which, right. Which is weird because this one doesn't seem. I mean, at least on its face, it doesn't seem supernatural, whereas the other one like definitely was. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Because this one's playing off the new fears of the dark web. <laughs> um, god damn it! Which I don't know. It's like grandma, huh? grandma, stop making horror movies. <laughs> I know. Thank you, God. Because I'm like, wait, are people just figuring out about the dark web? <laughs> <laughs> and do they seem to think it has anything to do with friends skyping each other? Yeah, you know, we're just a bunch of friends in in 2018 skyping each other <laughs> on video, video making, skyping each other in a nice eight way video chat, and then we and decide to sure look at our camera, like and we have it pulled up and are looking at it. The, I'm not even looking at my fucking Skype screen right now. 
Yeah, no, and they're I think they're like screen sharing too. Screen, uh, yeah, they're, like, they're screen sharing, and then there's the, it's like this this movie was made by an eighty year old who has just realized that like Facebook has fake news. Oh yeah, <laughs> like, the people must know. <laughs> Oh yeah, they saw one of those like I've seen these now. There are infomercials about like dark web scans. Like get get what? your scan of the dark web. We'll scan the dark web for you. We'll we'll search something that literally can't be found on search engines to find out if your information is on it. Thank you. Thank you for stoking that fear among our grandmas. But honestly, thank you because we're gonna get this stupid movie that I'm gonna enjoy. <laughs> I actually enjoyed the first, the first Unfriended more than I thought it would. Like, pretty good. It is. It's like I don't know. I enjoyed it, but I. Oh, you did like, watch it. I did. Not too long ago, actually. Yeah. Um, just like morbid curiosity. It was not good but i guess like it was it, like i my biggest average performances it, yeah i'll say this my, my biggest objections to it were not as a horror film but as like just a representation of technology so i guess <laughs> really probably like it was fine for me where it mattered so yeah it was good yeah sure um hold the presses because you know that's that's how podcasts work um <laughs> d- d- I will huge, stop recording right huge now. news alert James, Kim made really delicious-looking mini peach and blueberry pies. No, I know. Actually, earlier in this episode, while we were recording, you could probably hear me like stuffing my face with a piece of one. I, I was like, have I heard James munching on these? Because <laughs> look fucking divine. Yeah, you did. It's on recording. It's okay. on recording. If you ever okay. listen to this episode or any of our episodes, I should say, listen to this one. Uh, I suppose this is a good time to go into our sponsor section. That this episode has been brought to you by Kimberly's Confections. Yes, Bellingham's best Located. pastries and uh, other things will cater for. Uh, oh, sorry, custom creations for every occasion. There we go. Jesus Christ! That's a slogan. All right. Uh, no, I know, but you forgot it. No, I just didn't. I didn't. No, I didn't. I didn't have to look it up or anything. I was just. I I didn't know how to advertise it. We're moving on. <laughs> I, to be fair, have you ever seen any podcast, relatively ad-libbed podcast, do their advertisements? They're, quite frankly, usually my favorite parts of the show, and they're hilarious. <laughs> and I cannot imagine that the, the company sponsoring them are very happy about the words. <laughs> no, I haven't, actually. My, my favorite was um, a, a, an episode of How Did, How Did This Get Made, which is a phenomenal podcast uh, that talks about, like, you know, just terrible terrible movies and how enjoyable they are um and uh it was a, they were doing a plug for squarespace and uh they're just like you know squarespace no longer supports nazis because <laughs> apparently they had recently shut down a bunch of white supremacist <laughs> sites that were running on their servers and uh <laughs> but they yeah. used to <laughs> they used to and now i now i know that 
I didn't know that before. I didn't know that. I probably should have known that, but now I do. It's, it's just, this is a bad time to tell our audience that, that TalkingDuringTheMovie.net is a Squarespace, Squarespace hosted site. You know that because we're too lazy to create our own icon for the tab. So if you go to our, if you go to our website, you just see the cube of Squarespace. Anyway, uh, we're not talking, talking to the, talking to the, the movie. movie. Not Nazis. Not, not Nazis. Instead, families. And, families. And here yeah. we arrive. So so we're at the movie now, right? We're going we're gonna to get into Hereditary? Probably. I thought about you know maybe talking about you know that trailer for Star is Born that everyone was like really oh, happy yeah, about, which was that. really fucking cool. Like, it was. I, I didn't realize I'm, there was Lady Gaga until she started singing. And, it's also strange, and I, I kind of – I'm prepping myself for like a huge Bradley Cooper vanity project here. Oh, um, yeah. That's like, the thing. Like I see this of, thing. Is, I see this train coming from a mile away. But I just I hope it doesn't smack me in the face. It it looks gorgeous. Like it, it kind of like almost ter- almost even like a Terrence like Knight of Cups Terrence Malicky, you know? Oh um, right. just, that movie sucked the, though. The, yeah, the cinematography cinematography wise though. Yeah, um, it was good. It looked it looked like, really good. But again, it, it, it could just as easily and I've I've seen people praising the cinematography up and down, and it could just end up being, you know, uh Knight of Cups level indulgence. But the thing is at the very least, Terrence Malick is only the artistic mastermind behind. He's not in front of the camera. He's not shoving himself in your face in a literal way. Um, Bradley Cooper is both directing and and starring in this thing, and uh, he seems to have met up with a, a really talented DP, and uh, you know, creating awesome images. But I just, it seems like it's just going towards self-aggrandizement. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I just can't convince myself that that's not what this is going to be. But it looks, and, and, and by looks, I mean this photograph, just fucking incredibly. It also, I mean, I, Kim, Kim informed me that, um, you know, from a you know, secondhand source, but <laughs> that uh, they, that all the, like, performance, all the singing in the movie is done, you know, it's not, like, pre-recorded. It's not like dubbed over or anything oh, like that. Like they're, they're doing, actually they're doing Lamez style. Yeah, like it's actually happening, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Like I'm I'm totally down that for cool. that. That is cool. Yeah, but just because, I, honestly, like I, it's one of the things that distracts me about watching like any musical is any musical movie. I should say, yeah. um, is that it's just like it's you. It's so hard to conceal the fact that you're dubbing over vocals. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, it's like suspension of disbelief is one thing. It's just distracting. The, so. the, the best use, of, the, the, um, the best film that deals with that is definitely Singing in the Rain because it, you, it basically takes that idea, that, that fact of creating a musical in Hollywood and integrates it and makes it part of the film's plot itself. It's kind of, it's brilliant. Um, <laughs> I will say this though, when when this comes out, I, I we're pretty, you know, pretty much certainly going to review it, and I would, I'll actually right now for that episode put forward uh, the 1954 film A Star Is Born, um, the, the oh. 1954 version starring Judy Garland and James Mason. Um, oh, is this a is this a remake? Oh, it's been remade. Is that sarcasm? Um, no, I had no. I've, okay, I haven't yeah, looked yeah. up anything about so, the movie. So this, I this almost has, didn't want to know the context, but that's got, okay. Gotcha. I just wanted to make sure. Um, I'm not not saying you should have known that. Just like it is one of the most remade films 
in movie history. I think there's this is the fourth major iteration of it. Okay, I you know, and I will say too that that makes a little bit of sense because I have been. I think people have gotten their. God damn it! I can't believe I was about to say this. Uh, oh God! I was gonna say people got their Gaga eyes. <laughs> oh no! I didn't beat it. Oh Sorry. no! But people have really like they've sort of you know gone cuckoo for this movie, or, you know the, mm-hmm. the trailer for it anyway, and. I almost feel like applying like a 2018, you know, post Me Too movement type of, you know, or, or you know, femi- at the very least a feminist reading mm-hmm. to it seems a little odd because you're like, okay, really successful white guy teaches white girl how to be successful. Yeah. <laughs> so, and actually- I'm like, hmm, you know, this. Now that you know, not that necessarily that's going to be ultimately pervasive. I haven't seen the movie, but I will say it makes sense given that this is a movie from you know the Judy Garland era. Well, no, here's what I'll say though. Um, every the, the reason why it keeps getting remade is because, well, part of the reason it, it's just an, first of all, it's an insanely successful and popular story. Pretty much in any decade you make it, because stardom is always a public fascination. Right, um, but. The meaning of stardom is also always in flux, and there are countless ways to reinterpret it. And, you know, it is kind of bold, I will say that, to, um, you know, kind of define stardom in 2018 as looking and sounding like Lady Gaga, although <laughs> Lady Gaga doesn't even look like Lady Gaga in this movie. Um, but to kind of have her be the face of stardom, um, whereas, you know, Judy Garland in you know 1954 when that version was made the second uh, major version um you know she had you know arguably peaked in her career by that point and was kind of you know had had suffered from addiction problems by then and was actually considered like kind of uh you know past her prime and broken and the film actually plays a lot to that public perception the 54 version does um and i actually think it's her best performance that I've ever seen. Not that I'm insanely well caught up on all of Judy Garland's films. Um, I've pretty much just seen that, you know, a star is born wizard of Oz and meet me in St. Louis. But I mean, she's incredible in it. And a lot of that does come from the like commentary intentional or not that the film kind of has on her real life story. And um, that's part of why I kind of want to, revisit that film because i actually think it says a lot about it there's a lot of of of, um there's a lot about being broken in it by a system and i think that actually might still be pretty um resonant in the me too era and i actually find it ironic and i'm a little suspicious that it'll end proof to be uh more relevant now than the bradley cooper version i could be dead wrong um but I'm I'm kind of curious to see how those two stack up against each other. So I think um, I'm going to put that forward when the time comes for us to review the new Bradley Cooper version. Yeah, yeah. And as I said, though, I just I think people are they're so there. It's it's weird to me how how people are so willing to overlook the uh, the analyses that they're that they're usually very keen on applying mm-hmm. um especially in this movie it's like it uses the trope of guy calls beautiful woman beautiful yep and yeah. 
is apparently really cool for it. It's like, <laughs> I'm tired of seeing all these protagonists who do nothing more than call a beautiful woman beautiful. <laughs> I think that's another reason why it kind of feels like a vanity project because he does, he's like that benign dominant force, you know? Like, yeah. he's the nice man who's, you know, I'm the going nice, to, intentioned going, guy. he's the nice guy who's going to, you know, possess and control your career. You and know? people don't, and people don't, think you're beautiful but i think you're beautiful hmm. but i want to be a poet <laughs> i don't i don't know it's it's like yeah it's it, it, it seems like a weirdly old-fashioned movie yeah for for now and not and and which is you know can be fine but i don't know if this is necessarily the right subject matter i, I agree with you um that, that that kind of rings not no but also a lot of that's contingent on how the final product ends up playing it um, exactly i'm i'm interested to see you know, how it turns out i'm not writing it off at any you know no i'm just not holding my means. breath i'm just not holding my breath either exactly. you know um but yeah so okay that, but that'll be coming up after mm-hmm. that brief brief pit stop we have arrived at arrived. a nice a nice little family movie about a family Mm-hmm. Just going through some problems. You know, in fact, as we're getting into it, do you find the shift kind of interesting where, you know, I feel like even just like 10 years ago, um, horror films were pretty much exclu- – and like, I mean, for the previous like 30 years, you know, as well, horror films are pretty focused on like groups of young people and adolescents mm-hmm. and – Whereas nowadays, even like it seems like pretty much all horror films, not even just the insanely critically acclaimed ones, are very focused on family units, family units, and yeah. how they break apart. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking, yeah, The Witch, It Comes at Night, uh, A Quiet Place, Hereditary, you that uh, The Conjuring, Insidious, the, uh, oh, yeah, You're Next. Um, well, I mean, come well. On, you're, <laughs> I'm stretching a bit there, but yeah, you're right about you know your your next, I suppose, literally. But I think that just like misses the forest for the trees. Yeah, it does. I okay, I, I'm stretching it there, but still, like I think that's kind of an undeniable shift. We even actually kind of talked a little bit about um, way back when. Remember when we did our found footage? We did. Yeah, we did. Do that. That and we kind of discussed a little bit about how you know because we we went from like Blair Witch to Paranormal Activity and oh yeah Paranormal Activity that was kind of about how this genre and it was specifically about found footage then but I'm kind of applying it to just horror in general now kind of went from being about you know venturing out and you know you know encountering the unknown out there going out into the woods uh to a creepy cabin or whatnot and how horror's kind of been um, relegated to the intimate space, the home, um, you know, and you don't, you, you know, the places where you think you're safest. Um, that's kind of where, yeah, horror, the, the focus of modern horror films have been. And, and I feel like this, you know, this definitely continues that trend. And I, I find that very interesting. True, true. We've arrived at the family, but maybe we've always been here. Um, so one thing I and actually on that note, one thing I loved about Hereditary um, is kind of its approach to the family unit, because 
its approach is kind of in defying basically any easy categorization as this particular type of horror film, it almost has a self-contained horror film within each individual member of its family. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's, that's really true. That's a, that's a good idea. The father, well, okay. I should first say, um, as always, thank you for listening. No, I should say, as always, we are going to spoil the crap out of this movie. Everything. Pretty much from the get go. Um, so I, I, I don't know why I bothered to give those warnings anymore because it's self-evident. We're not going to do like, oh, let's, let's tiptoe around the, the movie and do a spoiler free review. And then let's jump into our spoiler ah. review. It's going to be a spoiler review. I'm sorry. Um, and you're not going to get any general takes before then deal with it. Uh, <laughs> I, I, but I it, almost, I'm almost at, at a loss to think of how you could actually talk about this film without without giving well, I mean, anything even if you, away that like, would impede someone's enjoyment. Even if you overtly even if you overtly talk about like the film's like influences, you're gonna give some things away in that respect. Like, oh if I say like, oh it's heavily inspired by Rosemary's baby, okay, so now I'm thinking demons. You know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Um Yeah, you know, it's like or or the exorcist or anything like that. You know, so it's like there's there's so little you can say without giving stuff away that it's it, Especially in this case, it's just not even worth it. And we've tried to do those spoiler-free bits beforehand, and it's they're just frustrating. Um, mm-hmm. So that aside, aside, uh, and to your original point, uh, you're right. Each of these family members does have their own individual horror story. <laughs> we yeah. have, you know, Alex Wolf, who's being, you know, antagonized by a demon who wants to take over his body. We have a skeptical father whose really main concern is just losing the sanity of his, of himself and his family um but then it's also you know a, a falls victim to this sort of thing and then the mother of course who's um losing her own mind she, she's process. got this push pull of like both fear of destroying her family and also guilt that she's kind of willing it to happen well, and I, you know, I like the fa- I like the father who's, who plays him. Uh, uh, Gabriel Byrne. Gabriel Byrne. Thank you. Um, I, I like his. There was a really sad character moment that I think maybe people might like take the wrong way. Um, mm-hmm. Where it's after <laughs> we're really spoiling things. Uh, <laughs> after after a familial death, um, they are in bed, and Tony Collette is cuddled away is you know turned away from him and he like grabs her shoulder and then shortly after she like gets up and i think a lot of people are going to read that scene as oh he's trying to comfort her and she's not into that sort of thing that's not what i got at all and i don't think that is what he's going for he he needed comfort Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) like he just lost somebody too and everyone around him is so fucking self-centered and self-involved that he can't get a fucking cuddle after his daughter died (laughs) yeah um and that's it it is very easy to write him off because he he gets the least amount of development time like he he's there are almost no scenes where he's front and center where he's not acting off of someone else like those quiet moments that they, they mm-hmm. have a few of those for him that I think you get a lot out of. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah. And I mean, so obviously, you know, t- Tony Clint, you get that like very interesting, like 
you know, kind of almost a paradox at the center of her character. And then um, Charlie, the young girl uh, who, you know, is simultaneously, you know, uh, uh, introduced kind of as another creepy um, horror (laughs) kid. The creepy horror kid. The creepy horror kid. But who, honestly, by the end of the film, I feel was like still at the same time, at least in one sense, still a little kid. Hey, and also, I want to say too, I feel like, I, I feel like I got psychoed pretty hard here. Yes, with, very with, much so. with Charlie, and I mean, very much so. Good on Hereditary because, like, that this so we we're jumping all over the place. Uh, Hereditary. Um, Tony Collette is a mother of two two children. And she's a, she's a wife. You, you, you then, are reco- I'm sorry. You are recounting this like Awesome the robot. And then, and then Adam Sandler is like grandma this. dies. <laughs> Adam Sandler is a duck. And <laughs> Adam Sandler is like the embodiment of familial trauma, and like <laughs> burst into flames and stuff. Essentially, grandma dies, and then the house that in which they live perhaps starts to be haunted maybe don't know unclear that's the plot um and then you know daughter is also kind of creepy uh she clucks a little she like cuts birds heads off these are things that you give in the trailer um and the thing is like pretty soon once they you know she tony collect says hey you know you got to go to the you got to take your daughter to this party which uh sorry you got to take your sister to this party that you're going to <laughs> which is a totally inappropriate place to bring I, in, you know I, I, frankly I was just like dude like th- okay I, I understand your mom and he's you know he's lying to you he's going to a and like if you're gonna don't even if he was just going to school don't want to take their fucking kids I, I don't take, know take your kid's sister come on so the thing is like she at the at the it's they set it up early and that's one thing about this movie is that like it doesn't waste a breath like no. if something is being shown and i do, i mean breath like in you know anything anything that you see or hear girl, girl takes a bite of a chocolate bar does that have peanuts in it hmm. yeah exactly everything I you wonder see or hear in the movie is relevant and i think <laughs> there are merits to that um you know it's in one hand it's kind of it might be a little exhausting on the other hand it's it's good setup and payoff or at mm-hmm. very least at very least a base level of setup and payoff. Um, so at the party, you she eats a piece of chocolate cake that has nuts in it, so it triggers her anaphylaxis, and apparently no one in the fucking world has, brings their EpiPen with them. Um, so she goes into anaphylaxis, and he has to, you know, try to drive her to a, a, a hospital. And I gotta say, this scene had absolutely no stakes for me until it did and that's because i was like i was uh, that's what it goes back to what i said like i got psychoed really hard because i was like there's no way they're gonna kill off janet lee a third of the way through the movie that doesn't make any sense right like like charlie the you know the character was was essentially the central focus of the trailer with Tony Collette, you know, like shouting occasionally, mm-hmm. like she was, she was the f- focus. She was the this creepy horror kid, you know. So I'm like, there's no way that anything bad is gonna happen 
to Charlie in this scene. Like, I get it, and Nat, and not Nat Wolf, Alex Wolf is acting the shit out of it right now, but I'm just, I'm not worried. And, and what the fuck? I, um, yeah. I, 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 it's one of the few moments, and, and by the way, part of why I think this film, like, kind of got me out of my movie slump is it's, it's the first film that really engrossed me in the sense that, like, I, I felt one-on-one connections with characters at particular moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was one of those moments. I, I'm not sure I've ever had the, um, I, I've been in the place of a character as deeply as I was in the shoes of Alex Wolf's character where he was just, the, every, all sound stopped. He's staring forward and he, he cannot look back. Because doing that would acknowledge what happened. Uh huh. And he just like drives home and goes to bed and doesn't really sleep. I'm like, I'm totally in your shoes. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. Like, that that scene is Oscar worthy. I'm gonna say right now. And I think if he if he if it in some alternate universe where he actually is nominated, I would love to see them play that scene or at least that shot of his face because he says nothing. No. He doesn't say a single fucking word. It's like he uh, kind of like chokes if you, you can hear him like Well, actually that was brilliant too cuz his his mouth doesn't move and I, it was probably more brilliant as a piece of sound design, but it's you're almost you're wondering where that I was at least wondering where that sound was coming from, whether it was him or his sister. Yeah. Somehow like cuz you don't really entirely know you know it's bad. But you don't know quite what happened exactly, like what the na- did you, what the nature of the injury was. You didn't like. I thought it was possible her mouth was still making noises. Yeah, you know, I kind of it felt to me like he was just maybe like attempting to like choke out a word. No, no, I got that, but yeah. I felt, but I felt like it was ambiguous. Like when the, you first heard the sound before it was clear it was coming from him, uh, I felt like it was pretty deliberately ambiguous where it was coming from, um, which I, I thought was... I get that might have just been me. Like, it wasn't instantly apparent to me the extent of what happened. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean... Again, talking around it, even though it's technically we're not... Care, we don't care about spoilers, but I don't... I don't want to get ahead of myself. I know that's the thing because I don't feel like it's not, got it. it's not that I don't want to spoil it. It's just get that I it. feel like we're jumping around. Do you get it? I do get it. Shut up. I hate um, you. I know. I hate me Can we too. Talk about that shot though, real quick. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> I mean, I mean it's. Like a lot of things in the, like a lot of shots in this movie, it lingers for like just a little bit longer than you'd expect it to. What I love though is like even at the end, like all this, you know, it goes for, you know, absolutely, you know, it absolutely roots you in his point of view, and it keeps you there, and you have to stay with him, and you stay with him the whole way home. I mean, well, I guess not really the whole way. It it kind of. But then all through the night, too. I mean, at least, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, like, little details, you know, like, you know, the car approaches the house and the, um, you know, they have a motion 
detecting light outside that kind of like blares on whenever uh, whenever anyone approaches and like as soon as his car comes up it shines right on him um, and again the, everything's in long shot so it's not like that's given particular emphasis but mm-hmm. it, it's just it's almost, it just kind of intensifies my identification with him there you know you follow him as he walks out he's just kind of like zombie like you hear voices in the house he just walks up to his room um, and it follows you know all the way through to the next morning when you can only hear his parents reacting from outside and then even after all that though like in an immediate way to 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 break that and cut away you get right up and close a personal with the head mm-hmm. you get like Which- broad daylight no mystery at all and it breaks all the minimalism that went before and i just thought that was brilliant it had it both i love how it it really had it both ways <laughs> and i remember like I, I remember feeling the same way in that scene as i did after thanos snapped in infinity mm. war okay i'm just like i'm waiting for it to like undo i'm like ah come on come on come on bad dream oh you're right? waiting for you her know? you're waiting for like him to wake up and for her to be like alive and running around and like nothing ever happened (laughs) clucking and it's just like wait did he imagine that or is she just like this crazy demon no and that's the thing and then it it cuts to her actual fucking head and you're like well that's the end of it ladies and gentlemen thank you thank you for coming to movie um it's over now no it was it was one of the most like shocking experiences in you know in the theaters that this year I mean, probably next to that moment when when Thanos snapped, you know, um, and I I think it was one of the things that I wanted to get out that I that stuck out to me in this review was just sorry, one of the things that stuck out to me about this film that I wanted to get out in this review was just how well paced of a movie it is. Mm-hmm. Um, they they release so they released a um, a they being a twenty four. They released a like a a heart rate monitor like graph. <laughs> there was like a heart rate challenge of people who watched the movie. Yeah. And if you watch it, it it is it is angled exactly like the old, you know, the screenwriting one oh one uh graph chart of introduction, rising action, climax, falling action, conclusion, you know? And yet in a film where I honest to God, I mean, I thought several times that I could kind of like put my brain on autopilot and like, okay, this is the movie that I've been set up for. Um, here we go. And that just kept on frustrating me and changing course. Um, oh yeah. Like I mean, a, I didn't, a film that I, I found completely was, unpredictable. Yeah. It was, I didn't mean to say it was, uh, no, 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 I know. Anything, no, but. no, no. I, I know you didn't, but I think it's all the more laudable that it was such an, unformulaic movie that still seemed you know again pretty adherent at least pacing wise to this classical structure yeah and, and i saw a uh, i saw a 10 15 showing i think i think on a friday um but even so it was like i was really tired and then we get into the theater and kim's like oh this movie's two hours and seven minutes and i was like mm-hmm. oh boy here we go and at the start of the movie i was i was very you know, I was I was into it. It was interesting. 
you know, there's this talking about the funeral or whatever. There's some weird stuff going on. Again, this movie doesn't waste a breath. She's like, oh, my mother had a lot of private rituals and private friends, and I'm surprised that there's so many people I'm not, I haven't seen before. Gee, and do you, and do you know I what the door what is? Your mom was up to, and then it's like, I remember the moment that I just went from like kind of blasé, like worried I was going to fall asleep, not because the movie was boring, but just because I was really tired to suddenly completely engrossed and that was of course when she, she turns off the lights and sees her mom's ghost in the corner or an apparition of her mom mm-hmm. like that was creepy as fuck and yeah. it and it lingered and it stayed there it wasn't a t- typical like horror movie got you scared like this wasn't the beginning of like the Amityville horror movie with Ryan Reynolds have you seen that piece of shit wait the remake has Ryan Reynolds in it? I th- I'm pretty sure that was Ryan Reynolds. Uh, huh. Or it it was! Right okay, Holy cool. shit, you're right. Yeah. Um, yeah oh, so, in God's I mean, name, did I not know that? In, the, in that fucking movie in 2000, the 2005 version, it's just like they walk through a house and then there's spooky shit like just in the background all the time. Like, seriously, just one after the other as mm-hmm. far as my recollection. And then it, Ryan Reynolds will like turn around and it won't be there. This was not that. This was, hi, this this apparition of your mom is there looking at you. You're looking at it. Like, it, it, it does a shot, reverse shot on a ghost. <laughs> um, you know? <laughs> they're, they're discussing something. <laughs> Right, yeah. Like the legacy of she turns on the legacy of evil. She turns on the light and it's gone. Of course. Yeah. But at that point I was like, you know, before that point I'm like, oh man, I'm I'm I hope I don't fall asleep during this movie and then I'm like, Holy fuck. <laughs> like I'm in. And I, I recently watched a I w- I've been watching uh I haven't told you this, but I'm watching lessons from the screenplay and uh-huh. uh in one of his episodes that he did on the shining he brought up this study about um creepiness which is a weird thing to do a study on but i actually read it and it's decently informative and they he they pretty much nailed down that we find things creepy as opposed to some sort of other type of you know fear terror horror uh, when something is ambiguous mm-hmm. when we can't discern whether or not it's a threat or we can't concern the discern the nature of the threat mm-hmm. um and that i think really applies very well to this because okay yeah it's it's creepy it's an apparition a ghost of her mom in the corner but what is it there for right like is she is she trying to kill them you know is she trying to kill tony collette is she trying to warn them mm-hmm. is it a sort of a benevolent sort of apparition like something in like the early part of insidious where it's like a boy playing you know yeah you you don't really know what to make of it and that's what makes it creepy um i I think the the movie like understands hereditary understands that well and makes it work to its advantage there's also a lot of tonal ambiguity um and Actually, I think at the heart of this film, there's like a, a fundamental, not, not if not an ambiguity, then like kind of a question it poses. And I, I, this stood out to me and I don't know how much emphasis the, you know, filmmakers themselves want to actually put on this, but um, there's a, you know, not so subtle. <laughs> it's, it's the 
I can only imagine the thematic resonance class that Alex Wolf's character always <laughs> seems to be taking, um, which 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 makes you know commentary relevant to the the narrative at large. Um, but the the first scene of him in class, the the teacher's discussing a Sophocles play, and oh yeah, it was Heracles and predeterminism and yeah, and he poses the question, you know, is it more or less tragic um, when care you know that the characters are sort of doomed to their fate and and this whole like kind of approach to them being playthings for the gods which you know the relevance to the story becomes very clear by the end on a literal sense but um i think also because what you have here are two horror films playing out and it well it's kind of not clear which one's the more horrific at least not to me there's either the idea that you know from because a good chunk of this film, I think Tony Collette is the main character, and then I think by the end it kind of switches over to, to Alex Wolf. Alex Wolf, but which one is more horrifying? On the one hand, you have Tony Collette, who what I got from her story is that she's constantly, you know, she's pulled in opposite directions by both guilt and fear. She wants to protect her family, and at the same time, she's kind of convinced that she is, you know the reason willingly, for willingly just and almost willingly destroying it you know um I, a side note i do wonder how you douse two children in <laughs> primer without either of them waking up i'm just saying um yeah well no it's it's uh it it's raises a lot of questions that is, that is the nittiest of picks all right um but like you know this idea that the this notion of guilt i think really plays out on her character even possibly more so than alex wolf um and you know that's kind of a horror to come to terms with in its own right um or is it more horrifying the idea that this family is you know has just been set up to be you know dolls a visual (laughs) metaphor repeated ad nauseum um but dolls for the playthings, basically. Here is, oh my god, <laughs> dolls for the gods, basically. Playthings, play yeah. Well, and is it, is it more horrifying? Is it is it more horrifying that all their travails are, you know, doomed to end the way they do, or that they willingly cause their own destruction? That they had, that they do bear responsibility for what happens. Which is more horrifying, and. Well, and you know, someone else. I read a I read a story that someone else had brought up um, because the, there's another quote on the whiteboard in the second class that's from um, what's the play called? That's the it's Oedipus's sister. Um, oh, Antigone. Anti- yeah, um, and just the just the tangential reference to Oedipus, a character who like willfully like ignored the you know the his fate you know mm-hmm. tried to tried his best to defy it but couldn't um <laughs> well, in fact in the act of trying to defy it fulfilled what <laughs> exactly right yeah it, it, basically an episode of that's so raven um <laughs> contained in a greek play <laughs> um so i mean the, this these i was really worried in this movie about um it's about the themes being a little too heavy-handed, right? Um, 
because when I saw the trailer, I was like, oh man, this looks really cool. And then I saw the title and I was like, yeah, being kind of, kind of on the nose there. But yeah, like you kind of can predict, oh, this is going to be a film about, you know, the (laughs) sins of the parents passing on to their children. And, you know, I kind of, I I was kind of preparing myself for a maternal horror movie, you know, like something like the Babadook. And I, Mm -hmm. I really think whilst a horror movie that mostly stars a hysterical, you know, an oft, oft hysterical, maybe crazy mother. The similarities aren't really all that. Defined well, they're 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 two. they are temporal and like they they they're relegated to a very particular place in the film. But then the film again veers off in a different direction, and it keeps on again it keeps changing shape and defies easy categorization. And honestly, I think by the end it's almost touched upon every single variation of a horror film to the point where like, I almost want to call it like this brilliant, like postmodern representation of a horror film where it kind of expects you to be familiar, if not with like, you know, the, the, the main films in each of these genres, at least to be aware, like to be aware of them as subgenres of horror. And almost kind of presents each one to you in order to convey this unease and sense of like sense of the unknown. Like you don't really have a, have foot. Like you, you can speak the language of each one of these genres individually, but combined together in the way that they are, I think has a really unsettling effect. And I haven't, sorry, go on. No, I just, I haven't experienced, I'm almost tempted to say this is my favorite of the, sort of you know renaissance horror films mike this is my favorite of the renaissance horror films is it do you definitively like yeah yes yeah 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 i've been wanting to see this again i'm so sad that i didn't get to see this again but i mean part of the reason is because of how well it it played with its themes and mm -hmm. sort of matched them in the genre you know made them work off one another you know because you talked about the you know what role they played in it and you know they quoted Oedipus like they ignored uh, Tony Collette especially ignored an awful lot mm-hmm. of very of pretty pretty telling signs that things were wrong mm-hmm. <laughs> you know um, I think like early on it was kind of funny with like Ann Dowd like she goes back to Ann Dowd's apartment and she's like oh my my mom used to make uh doormats just like this and and mm. just like oh how funny how funny and then it goes on i'm like uh-huh <laughs> no, no like literally the same design and, and technique and everything oh that's nice come no, that's sit the thing. down it's like she pushes her not at all on that <laughs> so and it sort of plays into that and that's the thing it plays into this these themes that they're going for of predetermination and and maybe also that that little bit of, of guilt that's in there of hey you know uh what what could you have done to stop this <laughs> and yeah and it, i also this... wonder too like the dollhouse metaphor i almost you know i wondered how much that was also played into the familial aspect like what is she doing literally she's creating little copies of herself right mm-hmm. like mm-hmm also known it's, as it's starting kinda, a family <laughs> starting a family um and, and also you know kind of used as a way to give her a, a there's one I found, there's a really interesting line at one point gabriel byrne kind of addresses her and you know says like she's 
sort of recreating her daughter sort of she is literally recreating her daughter's murder in miniature uh-huh. murder is not the right word she, her daughter's death in miniature and he's just like you know i i'm, I get, I'm paraphrasing but it's like you know that's a little basically it's macabre like don't do that and she says it's it's objective like it's it's like, from a an, it's from an objective point of view. She it, it's like her only way to view it in, in an attached way, and that's somehow you know therapeutic. And I, I almost feel like that's kind of her approach to all the tragedy that befalls her. She needs perspective on it, and that's the the dollhouses kind of present some way to recreate them in a way that gives her the god's eye view. Um, in some sort of futile attempt to understand it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, it's definitely a, a way to, there's a lot of, I love that there's lots there, of there, There's a bunch of interpretations. Unpack. Yours is certainly legitimate as well. It's, there's, it's rife with symbolism and not always in a way that's super on the, it's, it's got different levels. Exactly. <laughs> it's got different levels, you know, it and some are incredibly on the totally nose. obvious. <laughs> and there are definitely themes that do harken to the title hereditary, but also it goes well beyond just the limited genre of maternal horror that that title suggests. Um, and, I, you know, I know that that's part of why the film has been polarizing and why some people, because there is a lot of tonal dissonance here. There's, it sets you up for a family drama. And then in the end, it, it transforms into something supernatural and beyond the character's control. And even I actually struggle with this while I was watching it. Not, I just didn't know what to think of it because the reveal of the horror itself. Yeah. Because on the one hand, it almost seemed to let the characters off the hook in a sense, because they're no longer coming to terms with themselves. They're coming to terms with this sort of, you know, this omnipotent evil that they were trapped. Right. Right. You know, I, might I might I rebut? Uh, sure, uh, just to just as long as the understanding is that I've basically rebutted myself as well. Oh I've, yeah, yeah, I've got a different perspective, but well, this I, did occur to me at the time. Well, so. that's the thing. I've I've read that and I considered that myself too. Like you know, because and and it's not it's not a new thing for horror. I mean, it, for horror movies, so it's sort of like sort of unfold predictably, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and but the thing is, I don't think that's ever really an issue for me i so i watch i watch rosemary's baby right mm-hmm. um and then i afterwards I, I was reading through the booklet in the criterion which if you don't have the criterion collection of rosemary's baby you gotta get shit in horror you gotta get that um and ira levin the writer of the of the novel rosemary's baby the first one of the first lines is, that he said was that he observed that the most suspenseful part of any horror story is before, not after, the horror is revealed. Mm-hmm. Um, and that to me applies really well to Hereditary. It applies to a movie like The Shining. It applies to a movie I just watched recently that I think we should do a retrospective on called The Invitation. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of people struggle with this, okay, after things go as expected, it sort of loses itself, right? Mm-hmm. I've heard people say that about Hereditary, and I really don't think it's it's the case. I mean, because they all but, but all of these movies, like The Shining, all but tells you that Jack Torrance is going to try to kill his family, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they tell you, okay, 
it happened before they tell you oh jack uh beat his kid you know on occasion (laughs) right (laughs) you know um they show you a bit of his like shortness i guess in or his kind of like dark sense of humor even dishonesty at certain points um you know he's like oh yeah my wife's totally into horror movies she'll love this thing and then there's like nothing that ever suggests that he that that's true or be that he told them about it <laughs> that's true that never does get brought up again. <laughs> never comes up again um uh-huh. so i mean it's like you're you're never you are not su- surprised that jack ends up trying to murder his family in the shining likewise in hereditary like you you have to not be paying attention like at all to be to be even left in suspense about <laughs> oh gee i wonder i wonder what's what's happening i wonder what the if if her grandma if their grandma is evil like of course she is like she's <laughs> fucking looking through witchcraft books right and then mm-hmm. like Anne Dowd with her fucking you know doormat embroidered the exact same way saying hey you know read this fucking scripture that you know not biblical scripture by the way and you know perform a, a have a seance and anyone anyone who's seen even like layman horror movies like Ouija will tell you it's look it's never your fucking relative that you're talking to it's always a demon mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the person you talk to with a Ouija board is a demon <laughs> you know so that's the thing like the movie it it, it tells you how, it tells you what's going to happen the key is how it happens and what the characters go through along the way and I, I think Hereditary nails it in those details um, because while maybe the reckoning itself sort of doesn't happen, the reckoning with, with what got them there, but the reckoning with the consequences definitely happens, right? Yeah. Because you see this has all been building up. We've talked about it, the guilt, the signs they ignored, things like that. But then it also asks the question, like, you know, was this all bound to happen anyway? I mean, I think that the reason people do feel like that, like, I mean, again, I I had that sort of a similar um, concern in the film. It's not that the ending wasn't alluded to or does come out of left field. I I don't agree that I I don't agree with that, especially going back and thinking to particular lines of dialogue like grandma always wanted a boy. I'm like, oh, yeah, my brother committed suicide because he thought our mom was trying to put someone in him. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, you know, it it doesn't come out of nowhere. But I think, I think what frustrates people about this is that, you know, you get to the end, the horror is revealed, and yet you're left with all this other stuff in the film that you don't really know what to do with. Um, and it's it, it's. Because what, like, it kind of belongs. Like Satan to, is real, that kind of thing. Well, no, no, no. Like that's the that's the climax. That's what the film builds up to. In the end, you know, it's like this culmination. Like, oh yeah, you know, the, this is a, you know, supernatural demonic horror film. You know, it's it's. Yeah, yeah, you're th- right. That that's what we're kind of set up for. But what of all this family stuff? Like, what of the, you know, this weird tension between uh, t- Tony Collette and Alex Wolf? Um, you know, all that stuff seems kind of minimized by that, unless 
you kind of, I, again, I was unsure about that until I kind of recontextualized the movie as this sort of push and pull between, you know, personal guilt, a, a horror story about personal uh, failings and, and, and destroying your family from within and this kind of grander narrative where you're doomed from the onset. Um, which again, I think the film does set itself up for from the beginning. And that's kind of where I found it the most compelling, um, other than just, you know, being absolutely terrifying, um, <laughs> which, you know, I, the film I, is, don't it, get is me fucking, wrong. it is fucking scary. So I don't mean to over intellectualize it, but I, I think that it's operating on two very different levels of horror at the same time. And, they're not always easy to reconcile. And so I, I understand if people are put off by that dissonance. Um, but having experienced it and been unsettled by it and then reflecting on it afterward, I, I do think it's brilliant. I think that's kind of why it reaches beyond what I've seen in even my favorite recent horror films. Um, this kind of feels like one of those like exorcist movie, like, like, horror like this benchmark in the genre where like horror movies are different after this yeah um i don't know if its influence will be that pervasive but i feel like its innovation definitely warrants that comparison um i just i think it takes a genre we're so familiar with and uses language that we're familiar with um, but arranged in a way that we don't know what to make heads or tails of a lot of the time. And even after seeing through the whole thing, like th- those douchebags behind me, you know, they, their first words are just, what the fuck did I just watch? And, <laughs> and it's funny because nothing in the film is that abstract or that hard to understand on a literal level, but it's kind of hard um, at the end of it all to know what to do with all the pieces that you're given, you know? Um, yeah. So I get that frustration. Um but I think that's kind of one of those necessary, like it's kind of at the point where the genre is so familiar. These conventions are so familiar that it's kind of necessary to frustrate expectations in a way that uses that grammar, uses that language, but with a new grammar, I guess, if that metaphor makes any sense. Um, <laughs> no, no, it does. It does. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I don't know. I, I felt like that's kind of what really th- that's what made it stand apart for me. And um, I'm I'm wondering, you know, kind of being able to view it as a whole. Like I, I don't know. I'm wondering what. Um, I went in completely blind. I didn't know. Hard, I fucking knew nothing about this movie except that people were talking about it and that it was getting a lot of critical acclaim. Um, but I didn't, I didn't even have any sense of audience reaction. I didn't know. I, I knew the trailer looked weird. Um, <laughs> and I didn't know what to make heads or tails of it. And I do wonder how an ex- like how that experience differs when you know what the film is building up to, but it was a trip. <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was, it was crazy to endure. And I just, I just did it, so I'm. I'm it literally I'm just happened. I'm fresh from this experience. It was, it was engrossing. It was fucking terrifying, um, and it was fa- just fascinating. Like I, both both watching it play out on screen, and again, 
sort of listening into reactions of everyone in the theater. Um, yeah, I don't know. It was it was a trip, and this is definitely the film that you need to see right now. Anyone go? Anyone going to the movies? Um, this is, I think, the the hot ticket right now. Even though Jurassic Park's going to come out in a week and fucking destroy this, but I don't care. This hey, film's mo- already made back its budget, so this movie's more important. And hey, that's great. Um, yeah. I hope it keeps up. I, I hope that I think this film deserves to be a benchmark in horror. I hope it. I hope enough people see it and talk about it to make that happen. And so far, my experience has been that they are because I've a lot of people actually uh, surprisingly have like been talking about this kind of in a way that I don't normally see for films. It's usually TV shows that like kind of get the water cooler conversations now at work. Right, right. I I've had like a, a handful of workmates ask me if I've seen this yet, and I had to say no until now. So and now you can. Now I can. And and I mean, what I really love about the about the real quick about the climactic horror moments mm-hmm. is just that thinking about them in in hindsight and you know reading a few like there's there's one negative review for this movie right now on metacritic so i just had to i had to check it out and oh it's rex reed that i i i despise rex reed not because of this specifically but he is he is an awful critic anyway yeah this is like the first thing i've read of him and it is awful mm-hmm. um but he was like it's not scary because we've seen the scares before and it made me think about it i was like you know what we have seen a lot of those before so i was like well why does it why did it work better for me and i loved it because they were concentrated mm-hmm. right the the scares we've seen something first off we haven't seen all these scares before that that like fucking shot of charlie's head um oh my god uh, is a prime example but just looking at like the the first scare and then the scares in the last act the first scare being being tony collette's mom um mm-hmm. and then the scares in the last act being the whole like haunted house thing the naked people tony collette like being on the walls and flying and floating and shit like that i'm like you know what? i have seen that before but I think Hereditary was so well paced and had sort of its thumb, literally, I guess, its thumb on the pulse of the audience. Like it, it knew exactly how to how to build up to this sort of thing. And mm-hmm. that a lot of in these other movies that I've seen these scares in, they just sort of they just sort of happen, you know, yeah. like rapid fire. There's no sense of pacing. It just they just sort of go and go and go and then you know just continue that way to a point where you really get fatigued and and hereditary you don't you don't get that because as i said they're concentrated to very very specific you know tight pockets of time where they just make you sit and rip your hair out you know mm-hmm. uh, it was very well done when well crafted for someone who told me this is his first feature Oh my god. Yeah, that's uh that's another uh thing to bring up too. I love how A24 keeps finding new filmmakers. Yeah, like this this is that is silly. That's to crazy. Me. Are you kidding me? His well, first feature film? Well, honestly, I think it just goes to show like obviously he's a fucking prodigy, but also like this talent is out there and I don't think it's ever not been out there. And I just I'm so 
thankful to have a 24 um as kind of a a home and a jumping off point for these you know these talented artists to start a career and honestly i wish we had more of more studios like this um because a24 seems to be discovering particularly in the horror genre it seems to be discovering all the great uh all the best new talent and yeah i uh i don't know here's a here's a tangential take this is this is going to be the year where we get to test it's going to be sort of the test of get out's influence particularly on on awards shows and prestige right Mm -hmm. so so uh gravity right Mm-hmm. Like Academy doesn't really want to touch like genre or sci-fi films. Mm-hmm. Then then Gravity comes out and bam, right? Um, now it's suddenly that's a thing now, right? Yeah, that's yeah. how you get your Martians, for example. So, and now Get Out, right? It's, it's supposed to supposedly kicking down the door for horror. Right? Yeah, yeah. This is going to be the test, right? If it how well Hereditary does in awards season. It's going to be the test of what kind of of whether or not Get Out was an anomaly or was like a gravity door kicker, um, because I, I don't think this is too much of a stretch to say. In my mind, Hereditary is head and shoulders above a film like Get Out. Um, yeah, I would agree with that. As much um, as I love I love Get Out, I don't want to disparage. No, I love Get Out too, but I think both of us were a little. I I, I still hold that I think the films. Uh, cultural relevance to a degree outweighed its actual merits and that's totally fair too so i i think it's i i do think it's great especially as a debut um it wasn't one of my top i i don't think it was in my list it could have been i i I could have justified that to myself but it wasn't like for me wasn't top three of the year um like it was for so many others um that's again you know that's fine i i just for me hereditary is operating on in a much more complex way that i find more engaging mm-hmm. um and and if if hereditary if get out is nominated for bet was nominated for best picture I, hereditary I no should reason be. why this shouldn't be too and uh, if if Dan- daniel kaluuya is nominated for best actor tony collette should win best actress i just think it it might be less i think hereditary is just harder to to stomach you yeah. know, it doesn't make you as. I mean, it's weird to say that Get Out makes you comfortable, but Get it's Out a narr- is a bit of a crowd pleaser. Like, well, and that's a, one of the things I criticize pleaser. it for. It's a know, narrative. It's, it's a narrative that's easy to digest, it, it, particularly in this climate. You know, um, yeah. and it's, it's easy to to get behind, um, in a way that's still very clearly from like you know a black man's perspective. And I I think that there is merit in that. It's not, you know. It's, it's not a filmmaker, you know, soliciting the Academy members to feel bad. It is. It's just that it, you know, it's easy for white people to get behind it, too. <laughs> it's easy for the Academy to say, like, yeah, you know, you're you're right. We can get, you know, we can give you awards and, and pat ourselves on the back and feel good about us, you know, you know, holding up minority artists. I'm not sure Hereditary is as like it just makes you less comfortable as an audience member. And I, I'm, I think that might be too much. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, you're. I, I, I agree with you. 
I agree with you because yeah, it's, I it's a much less digestible movie. And this as is, I said, one of the things I criticized Get Out for was that it was it sort of like took it easy on us, mm-hmm. <laughs> particularly in its in its ending. But uh, we won't we don't need to open up that can of worms again. I yeah, because I'm still on the complete opposite side in regards to that ending. I <laughs> well, and it's and again, not to say I didn't like it. I just think it kind of took it easy on us. Um, yeah. I think it led to this overall heightened digestibility. I think it had its cake and ate it too. too. Um, (laughs) And yeah, I know. I just, so I think, I think it'll be interesting to see how this is received. And I think if it's not received well, then get out really was just, you know, kind of a blip. It was just sort of an anomaly that, you know, cashed in more on its cultural capital and said nothing really about acceptance of the genre so yeah um my money is on the my money is on the ladder but <laughs> i guess I have, I have hopes i have hopes I, um maybe tony collette <laughs> yeah i mean at, at this point which is always too early to say but at this point i mean come on like yeah yeah tony collette like Oh, there's yeah. no way, I, especially because I mean she's long overdue. I think she's got a she's got a storied career, and this is uh, maybe my favorite performance, probably my favorite performance by her. Um, but she's been great for a while, and I think she's you know, she hasn't won any, has she? It's gonna be embarrassing if I'm forgetting no, about know. an Oscar. I don't think so. She was nominated for Six Sense, right? Okay, yeah. Um, yes, yeah, she wasn't nominated for Sixth Sense, but I don't think she's won anything. She's, I mean, she's been, yeah, yeah, just nominated. Um, she, she's deserved it for a while, and I, I now's the time. Mm-hmm. Also, it reminds me, I saw one of my favorite tweets is uh, regarding this film is like, I just like to think that Tony Collette is playing the same character as in The Sixth Sense, and she's just the least lucky mom of all time. <laughs> Oh no! Oh, yeah. Or was it all predetermined? Oh my god! Oh my god! What if? What if? What if there are no coincidences? With no needs. Wow! What a what a terrific audience. That should have really been our sign off this whole time. Uh, <laughs> what have we been thinking? Yeah, yeah. What were we thinking? Not imitating a kid with cerebral palsy <laughs> we give hereditary five uh, uh, likes and we, we i give it one ant covered severed head out of one <laughs> because that's all there is to give um so i don't know what we're doing next week um, um oof. Uh, well there's a little movie called Incredibles 2. Oh, yeah. Okay. Never mind. I know what we're doing next week. It's called Incredibles 2. It's uh, like, you know, I don't, uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth or nothing, but... I don't want to tell you Brad, how to live your life or anything. <laughs> your boy Brad B is... Uh, oh, yeah. He's, he's back. He's back. I like that he was essentially back because, because the movie was going to happen with or without him, and he's like, well, it might as well be with me. <laughs> I'm... I, I like to think that he has a great story to tell. But oh, hey, yeah, if I mean, he's just there, but if he's just there doing damage control, I'm fine with that too. Brad Bird of any flavor is preferable to most other people. 
The thing is, I know he. I, I'm confident that he came in as damage control, but that he he wouldn't take on the project if he wasn't going to give it what he had. So yeah, that's true. Um, um, um so I say that knowing him personally, of course. Uh, uh, right, of course. He's a, he's a, look. Hey, he's just another person that the Simpsons gave us. Okay. Yeah. So he started his career. It's on the Simpsons. His career during their during their heyday. Conan O'Brien. And Except, you know, I think I saw the movie that he wrote. Um, Battery's before, not included. Battery's not included before I saw anything of The Simpsons. So, <laughs> okay, well, well, there you go. Well, there you go. Battery, talk to Battery. the movie. Battery's not included. <laughs> Maybe that should be our forgotten favorite. I'm, I'm sort is of even worried to watch be, it again. I was like, is it even supposed to be good? I don't, I don't know. I remember liking it as a as a kid. Oh, you know? Okay. Um, I don't know. It's like it's like old old couple is gonna get kicked out of the apartment they're living in because it's getting like rebuilt or whatever, um, or built it's something else building over it, and then but then little tiny robot aliens help them, you know. <laughs> it sounds just whimsical enough to be a Pixar movie. I know, right? Yeah, uh, but it's a Brad Bird written, you know, Steven Spielberg produced movie. Yeah. Um, and huh. and I remember it being delightful, and I have it on Blu-ray, so I should pop it in at one point. Um, All right. Regardless, so Incredibles two uh, next week. It was mm-hmm. it was a just okay show this week. It's gonna be incredible next week, of course. Ooh. Ooh. And right. as always, don't get decapitated. <laughs>